Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm going to chat to dietitian Claire Wolski about the power of good food awareness and habit tracking when it comes to making changes to your eating habits and making realistic and sustainable food choices. Welcome back to The Daily Dollop, everyone. What a fine day this is. I'm excited for this episode because I've got my second ever guest on the show today. But for those of you tuning into The Dollop for the first time, my name's Kate Freeman and I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of The Healthy Eating Hub and The Healthy Eating Clinic. Fun fact about my life is that I actually employ the best people. I have the best employees anyone could have, actually. So all the other businesses out there have the second best employees. I'm lucky enough to call all of them my friends and I have my first ever employee actually on the show with me today, which is uh, dietitian Claire Wolski. So Claire's a senior dietitian at the Healthy Eating Clinic and after seven years working one-on-one with clients, she knows just how important food awareness is and she's super, super passionate about this Um, shares my views around helping people make realistic and sustainable food choices so they know how to eat well long-term. And so I'm chatting to Claire today about all things habit tracking and awareness. Claire loves pudding, eating apple ped with blue cheese, which I occasionally eat with her while we camp. She has a Hungarian Vizsla named Jeffrey. And so right there we know that she's an excellent person. So welcome, Claire. It's so good to have you on the show today. Thanks very much. It's actually quite exciting to be here. First time doing a podcast. Amazing. So good. So just tell everybody, because they've heard snippets of you before, you've contributed to a couple of episodes now, but yeah, just tell everyone um, just a little about yourself, how you came to do nutrition and work here at the clinic. Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm a Canberra girl, born and bred, and have most of my family here still. And I got into nutrition mostly because uh, when I was at high school, I really enjoyed studying human biology. My teacher had a, a Marib anatomy and physiology textbook that I just fell Marib. in love with. Yeah, so very good. nerdy. Um, and then uh, when looking into what to study after school, I wanted to do something physiology wise, but knew that medicine was going to take way too long. And I really enjoy food. So I thought that was a a fairly logical choice, but I didn't really know what I was getting into. And then it wasn't until probably about my second year of um, study at University of Canberra, where I got into um, like, oh, sorry, biochemistry, beg my pardon, Um, human biochemistry in particular that I got really into it and understanding, you know, how carbohydrates break down and proteins break down and amino acids and like all the tiny little chemical processes that happen in your body. So cool. So cool. Love it. Yeah. So that got you into it. Yeah. How did you end up with me? (laughs) 
<laughs> Bit of a fluke, actually. I um, was looking around for different jobs, applying at hospitals and as a new grad dietitian. Um, there's not a huge availability and particularly when I wanted to stay in Canberra. Mm. And uh, um, a guy that I studied with sent me the advert for your job and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go for it but I don't know that I'll get it. Didn't have much confidence in getting it and I still can't believe that I'm here seven years later. Claire was um, the best. She topped the, the interview once. I liked her. <laughs> it was love at first sight. <laughs> I was blonde then, which is weird. <laughs> you were blonde then. That's so true. I have an excellent blonde photo of you from back then. Um, fabulous. So, yeah, so Claire's been with me ever since. Mm. I know. It's yeah. so great. So I just like find people along the way I've decided. Business, I just find people. I'm like, oh, yep, I'm going to keep you. So um, I'm collecting people. <laughs> Claire is one of them. So she's wonderful. So, look, you know, we've had lots of conversations over the years about – you know, different parts of nutrition and we definitely have pretty cool conversations with the whole team about this stuff. One of the things that you're really passionate about is this concept of food awareness. So can you just tell everyone, like, why is that something that you feel is really important and and how have you come to sort of realising that that's like a key thing to help your clients with? Well, I think in, in doing all the study around the ins and outs of nutrients and chemicals and our physiology and how our health gets affected by food, I really find that sometimes all of that information can stop us from seeing the forest for the trees. Mm. So we can be so invested in trying to hit a certain amount of protein or looking at the sugar grams on the back of a packet that we're then not really seeing the broader pattern of our own behaviour and how it might not necessarily be one nutrient or one meal that changes the trajectory of our health and well-being, but it's our cumulative decision-making processes and that often those decision-making processes are happening on autopilot. We're mm. thinking about hundreds of things in a day, you know, where to park, I've got to get petrol on the way in, like what, all these things that I've got to get done in a day, if you've got kids even more. Um, and so it's easy for a food decision to then slip within that mm. over the course of the day and us just not to be 100% aware of where the real stumbling blocks are rather than what we perceive to be the right thing to do nutritionally. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's actually even just understanding awareness as a concept is quite tricky too because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I often say that it's very frequent for people and myself included to blur our intentions with our reality. Oh, absolutely. Can you talk to that sort of yeah. a bit more? I know that very, like feeling very, very well. And the, there's a situation that really pops up into my mind about that. Um, this was actually probably about 12 months ago or more now where my dad was doing uh, 12 months without drinking, um, which is uh, like totally cool that he wanted to give that a crack. Um, and we got onto the topic as a family of, of how often you drink. And my mum asked me, I very clearly remember this conversation. She was mm. like, oh, Claire, how often do you drink? You're a dietitian. Um, <laughs> and I said, oh, pretty reactively, I went out oh, two or three times a week. And it was early in the year, not long after Christmas. And I then had to stop and think about how the festive season had actually bled into my usual routine. Mm. And I found that I was, when I went back and counted it, it had been like six days in that week 
and it had been five days the week before that and it quite easily had been seven the week before that. So while my intention and perception was to have several alcohol-free days a week, just getting home at the end of the day being like, oh, nice cold drink would be lovely. Like you just kind of fall into this groove. Yes. Very unintentionally. And then that can cumulatively just push you in a different trajectory. So it's not until we take the opportunity to really stop and see what we're doing without judgment as well. I think it's quite important to do that just as a curious observation Mm. that we can really start making like valuable change. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of got to do with the way we make the food decision determines whether we like count that as being in our awareness or not. Like I think about like, say for example, you wake up on Monday morning, which is the day to be a healthy person. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to, you know, and that's what we often are like the most motivated on the Monday and like, yep, I'm planned and ready to go. And so your intention was to like eat this lovely day and it, and it goes you know, quite well. But then as the week progresses, stress pops up and there's this, or you forgot your lunch or um, a social event pops up and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh I don't usually do this. And I, I, you know, like normally I don't need some Coke in my afternoon or grab this second coffee here, but I, but today is different. It's a little bit stressful and I need it today. And yeah, and it's I've- kind of like with Do you think that that has a lot to do with it, the way we've made the food decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think it seems to have a lot to do with um, our state of mind Mm. um, and the ability for us to invoke loopholes to certain situations. Yeah, like like, this is um, unusual and therefore what I can do is unusual in that circumstance, even though that unusual thing might actually be happening more usually than we think. (laughs) And I find that true particularly circumstantially, like if I'm going out to dinner, like one of my favourite things is sticky date pudding. Um, And if there's sticky date pudding on the menu, I'm getting that. Um, But I can find then I might see the instance of going out to dinner as being the um, exception. But And I think, oh, I don't really have dessert outside of that. But some days, you know, might have a little bit of chocolate after dinner, but that's in isolation. I might um, have an extra bit of like a a muffin or a cake in the evening left over from my lunch or or something like that. And it just kind of becomes a circumstantial change um, that then is hard to put within our usual pattern Mm. because then every day is very different. Yeah. Yeah. So every – what can happen is we kind of like – excuse the behaviour based on, oh, today is abnormal and I don't normally do this. But then every day there's something abnormal that pops up and we we compartmentalise. So rather than thinking there's a, an actual behaviour that's happening regularly, we're like, oh, well, I don't get brownie that often. Yeah. And I don't eat a donut that often. Yeah. Or I don't, yeah. Yeah. It's very fascinating area of oh, sociology. Fascinating. <laughs> and I find it's often hard to, to, to um, look at this, without people feeling that it is that I've done something wrong yes, or that it's a bad thing to be doing or that I'm, I'm not paying enough attention or that it's like that we're, um, you know, doing something negative. But I think it's good to just realise that that's how our brain works. It can't keep all of our food decisions in its working memory. Mm. So the fact that you look at a situation in isolation is because your brain just can't retain all of those other situations. Yes. And so... Um, relying just on our willpower or just on our memory or our um, awareness in that moment isn't maybe necessarily the 
the most effective tool. It's just putting more mental load on. Yeah. And that we potentially need to find tools that outsource some of that mental load or at least allow us to to um, hone in on what we're trying to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of working with your clients, what are some of the activities or things that you get them to do to help them get that awareness? Yeah. Um, I think it's a really good starting point and particularly if you've never um, really paid attention to your pattern of eating um, before, a great snapshot can be doing a bit of a food and awareness journal. Mm. So um, just tracking what I'm having to eat over the course of a week, including some weekend days, which might be out of your workday routine. Um, And just, and I think that, as I said, coming at it without judgment of just whatever I'm doing, I'm just going to write it down and then see where I find my own stumbling blocks. Um, And then within that, sometimes a good thing to look at can be, well, how much of what I'm eating is coming from whole food versus processed and start to get a look at the quality. But I think the key thing is just like, what am I doing? Yes. Yeah. And it's normal. It's really normal. As soon as we start writing things down, we're going to start to change. Mm. But there's value in that as well, because if we can identify, oh, I'm not reaching for that extra biscuit with a coffee because I know I'm writing it down is just paying attention that I'm, I might have done that otherwise and that that's a habit that I can easily fall into. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so interesting. So, so once someone starts to get that awareness and they can actually really honestly sort of have a look at a week and go, okay, yeah, this is, this is definitely not how I'm intending to eat. Mm. Um, but it's, it seems to be my reality. Um, it's like, I've got, you know, five out of my seven days is abnormal. (laughs) (laughs) What, what is then the next thing for them to do in terms of starting to make some positive change? Yeah. So I think it's really difficult to change everything all at once. Yeah. Amen, sister. (laughs) And the really, if we're wanting to get the greatest bang for our buck is we want to concentrate our efforts into um, a couple of things and really bring about like some awareness and change to those things. So if you're going through and noticing that you're falling into a particular pattern, so with me and alcohol um, and having a glass of wine of an evening, Mm. um, what I found it valuable to do is then just pick that one habit and again, just start by tracking how often that one habit is happening with a very simple like, yep, it happened or no, it didn't or skip, it didn't happen kind of um, process. And then with that observation, you sort of establish a baseline. So say, for instance, you tracked over the course of a month, how many days did I have alcohol and how many days didn't I? You might get to the end of the month and I did this in January and you get to the end of the month and I had like um, 18 oh no, sorry, 13 alcohol-free days in that month. I was like, cool, that's where I'm at and that's what it was. Yeah. And then I can decide, look, if I want to be consistent, it would actually be aiming for the next month to have a similar level or if I'm actually not happy with where that's sitting and I'd like to see it come down is to aim to nudge it down just a little bit. Mm. So if I can aim in the next month in February having 12 days I had alcohol, then I'm just nudging a bit in that direction. Yeah. And that can feel really small and I've certainly worked with clients where they feel like, oh, but it's just one change that feels really small. But given time, those sorts of elements of awareness become part of who we are and how we make the decision. Yes. So I'm then, like, as I'm going through the week, getting to Tuesday and thinking, 
do I want to have a glass of wine? Didn't have a glass of wine on Monday, but I'd really prefer to have a glass of wine on Friday night. And then we're going out to dinner on Saturday. So I'd prefer to have a glass of wine then. And so uh, I think if I weigh it up, it's really not worth it in terms of the pattern that I want to create. Yes. And then all that does is just feed into that decision of being like, no, okay, not tonight. And then I can move on and it Mm. doesn't have to carry any more do I or don't I than that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's that it's building that sort of innate little decision-making process and yeah, is when you're starting to get that really sort of more solid behavior change. Mm. I also like the idea of adding to that decision-making process that you haven't made a rule that you're then going, I'm, I'm having alcohol later. Yeah. I'm going to have it tomorrow or I can have it on the weekend, but I'm not doing it now as opposed to like a rule, which is like, I shouldn't drink and I yeah. shouldn't have any, and I'm trying to cut back. And mm. we do this very black and white decision-making process, which then makes us want to delay the restriction. So yeah. we're like, oh, well, I'll start that tomorrow and drink my wine now. Yeah. And I think that's the the real crux of moderation. Cause when we talk about moderation, that's so vague. Mm. Because moderation looks different for everybody. Moderation is actually just figuring out where I currently am and then changing based on that. Yes. So that idea of going, well, if I'm drinking in a pattern um, of five or six nights a week and that's not what I intend to do, moderation is consciously going, well, I need to be able to have three or four alcohol-free nights a week to make that happen. Mm. Um, And that I'm just having that tool in my toolbox of decision-making. So I guess to finish the session off, we've talked a lot and I think the alcohol – Analogy is such a good one because it, it, it's a small behavior, but it's something I think a lot of people can relate to, me included. <laughs> what are some other like small behaviors or challenges that you've noticed in your clients that this process has worked really well for them that, that people can try? Yeah. Well, I do think um, it's a matter of finding what other other pillar habits for you. So, mm. so for instance, water can be a good one if Getting two litres of water helps me manage my appetite, feel like I've got energy, avoid getting a headache. Like that has a cascade of benefits. Yes. Similarly, like for myself, I know that um, and a few of my clients highlighting fruit and going, if I have two pieces of fruit in a day, that means I'm not snacking on other things. I've packed the fruit and have it with me. I'm making a conscious whole food choice in the afternoon when I'm tired and hungry. Yeah. So it's that particular habit or that particular process actually has a flow on effect for a lot of things. So some great ones that I know have a bit of a cascade effect can be making sure that I've got half a plate of vegetables or a couple of cups of vegetables with lunch and with dinner, or if we're wanting to just break it down with either one of those. Mm. Um, It could be that I've planned my snacks for the next day and being able to go, yep, I've done that for the next day and it's sorted. Um, That I've put snacks in my bag to take with me. It can be even as simple as that I've, I've just ticked off a habit each day and that the process of habit tracking is actually a form of habit yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So I think I, I find keeping it quite small, tangible, like an actionable thing, whereas yeah. like if you tried to track weight, there's nothing you can do to jump on the scales, jump off again and come back and have it change. No. So there've got to be things that you can actually do. Yeah, like things directly in your control. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, fabulous chatting to you today, Claire. Thanks for coming on the show today. Um, this is Claire Wolski. She is one of the senior dietitians at my one of my businesses, the Healthy Eating Clinic. What a trooper. Friggin' love, Claire. <laughs> How great is she? Give us some love on social, but thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Let's do it again.
friend yeah. of the show. <laughs> I love it. Have a great day, team. We'll see you next time. After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My healthy eating program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods, or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode.